0: If you would, uh, grab a Bible, if you have one, uh, and open it to Matthew chapter 5. This morning, Matthew chapter 5, verse 31 is where we're going to be at. We're talking about the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' famous sermon in the book of Matthew. I just read uh, the other day about Levi's conversion in the Bible, and Levi is our author. Uh, his name is also Matthew. He's a tax collector, came to know Jesus, and his life has radically transformed and changed when he came to know Christ. Um, Jesus has already articulated on some pretty heavy issues here in the text. Um, So if you missed the past couple of weeks, you can catch up online. Um, We've already talked about anger and murder. We've talked about lust. And here we land on the issue of divorce. Divorce. A very difficult message uh, for this morning, but we're going to lean into it and we're going to learn from it. Uh, I am a product of divorce, uh, actually. Um, my mother and uh, biological father decided to call it quits um, when I was about five years old. So I know that probably some of you are sitting here and think, man, what does he have to offer in regards to knowing about divorce? Well, I could speak to it because I know a lot about it, um, <laughs> because I remember those uh, that day when uh, my My mom and dad articulated to me that we are getting a divorce. Um, Being a pastor, we also deal with it a lot. Uh, There is no greater pain um, that um, comes into my life uh, than when I hear uh, two people look at me and say, Pastor Jordan, I think we're done. We're going to call it quits. Uh, There is a huge probability that I'm probably going to cry this morning, okay? So we're just going to all be on the same page there, but uh, that just hurts Um, There's no way uh, around it. Two people who most of the time I saw as being so quote unquote in love. And uh, that love for them for whatever reason they would say failed. And then they look at me and they say hey we're done. We're going to get a divorce. And uh, what they don't see a lot of times is me driving home or wherever we talked and just uh, with tears in my eyes and pleading to the Lord that that wouldn't happen. Divorce affects everybody. It affects uh, little kids, it affects adults, it affects uh, um, your family members. Probably everybody in this room would say that they know somebody who's divorced or that you have been divorced yourself. And it doesn't matter where you stand on the issue, okay? In Malachi chapter two, it's very important for us. We believe first and foremost, a community gospel that the Bible is the word of God. All 66 books, there's absolute truth in this world, and it comes from God, and it is written down in his word. We believe that every word of God proves true. And so in Malachi uh, chapter 2, verse 16, it is said that God hates divorce. It doesn't matter where you come from or where you're at, that is the exact translation of the scripture. That God hates divorce. If you would uh, translate it from the Hebrew into Japanese or English or whatever, or Dutch for our area, right? Um, it is God hates divorce. Now, before we go any further, okay? You need to hear one thing. I did not say that God hates you. I never said That God hates you. God hates divorce because it's a sin, just as lying is a sin, just as stealing is a sin, just as talking bad about your neighbor is a sin, just as lust is a sin, just as anything is a sin. In Proverbs, there are seven things that the Lord hates, and they're all sin, and God hates sin, and God hates divorce. But, church, if you are divorced, or you are like me and you come from a product of divorce, God does not hate you matter of fact, the Bible tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God loves you enough to send his son to die on the cross for your sin. And I love John 3, 17. God did not send his son Jesus as a condemnation. Ready? He sent him as a salvation. And so you can be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Your spiritual act of worship is to be a living God. Sacrifice. Conforming not to your own opinion of what you think about the world, but conforming to the image of God based on the articulation of what it says in Scripture. To be biblical is to understand that marriage is till death. God had it in his mind that it would be a lifetime commitment in good times and in bad, sickness and in health. Till death means, ready? Till death do you part. But sin muddies the waters. It always has, and it always will until Jesus comes again soon. And his original intent is essentially tarnished because of man's sin. And divorce can, and it does happen. We all know that. It happens. It transpires, and you can be sure that Jesus speaks on it, and he does. And I thought about just bringing in a guest speaker uh, this morning and being like, hey, you can tackle that. And I was like, you know what? No, we're family, so I'll tackle it, all right? Before I do, let's pray, all right? Let's ask God's blessing upon his word. Heavenly Father, for the next few moments, I'm going to fight two things. I'm going to fight internally and wrestle because as a human being, as a sinful human being, I want people to applaud. And I want so badly, as a sinful human being, to uh, appease people. And I want them to like me. And I want them to see me in a good light. And I don't want to give bad information to them. And so I'm going to fight that. I'm going to fight um, wanting and desiring their applause. And, and to make them feel good. And, and that's, that's not what you want here. The second thing, God, is that I, I need to seek your applause. And I, I need, um, as, as we sang, firm foundation just a few short moments ago. You to be the firm foundation on which I stand. And would you help me to want to passionately pursue your applause more than the applause of people and be far more concerned with being consumed by the Holy Spirit than I am with the consumption of worldly perspectives. And this morning, would you help me to uh, be clear according to your word? Would you eliminate anything that is within me that is going to come out here, that is going to um, distance people in their relationship with you? And would you do an amazing work here in this church and, and with your people... And may you articulate very clearly what you want us to do with this passage of Scripture so we wouldn't be filled up with our own um, knowledge that we think that makes us prideful, but we would be humble. And we would understand love in a different context. And that it's not so that we would be glorified, but so you would be glorified because you loved us enough to send Jesus. And so may we seek the other person's best. And I pray very specifically for all the marriages and everybody who is here this morning and teach all of us in this time as we come together. Help us to understand in a way that is not of this world and may our marriages and our relationships be something the world looks at and just says, I want that. And may we point them back to you in a relationship that we have with you. God, I'm putting all this at your feet, and um, we've done the work. So now let's let's have fun, and let's really give what you want us to give here this morning. In your name, Amen. All right, here we go. Matthew chapter five, verse thirty-one. Jesus speaking. It was also said. It was also said. Whoever divorces his wife. Let him give her a certificate of divorce. Now we have to stop here and we have to understand what is transpiring. Jesus is speaking. It's the Sermon on the Mount, and he has his disciples in front of him 12 disciples that he has called himself personally, and then disciples who have left everything to follow Jesus. Because what we know to be true is he is preaching in a way that is passionate and energetic in a way that nobody's ever preached. And he has proven himself through the miracles that have transpired all throughout the regions that these people existed in. And so they flocked to Jesus. And if you were sitting in that congregation, you would have heard Jesus say those things and you would have understood a little bit about what he's talking about with your society that you were saturated in. Number one, marriage was held in a high regard in that society. Marriage was held in a high regard in that society. People had a high uh, regard about what God had instituted. In the Hebrew, there's no word for bachelor, okay? So sorry for all of you who watch The Bachelor, like that, that, that shows out, okay? Because uh, there's no word for it because people passionately pursued being married. It wasn't until the New Testament when Paul articulates this whole concept of singleness being something that God also blesses. Okay, so if you're not married here today, like, you should maybe praise the Lord, all right? Because you don't have to deal with some of the things that we as married people have to deal with. Don't nudge your spouse when I say that, okay? Like, amen, should have stayed single. Hold on a second, okay? Blessed is the man who finds a wife, and blessed is the man who is single, okay? Marriage is held in a high regard in this society. We know that to be true. Number two, we know that women are held in a low regard, Okay? Women in this society are held in low regard. They were, uh, as people said, like dogs. They were disposable. They were treated improperly. And women were looked at as something that you just obtained uh, most of the time for the possession of land. The more wives you had, the more land you had, the more land you had, the more powerful that you were. And so women are looked at in society's eyes as being very lowly, if you will, okay? Okay? Marriage high regard, women low regard. Third thing, divorce is always debated. It's always debated among the people. So when Jesus brings up this whole issue or concept of divorce, essentially what he is talking about is an issue that was debated with many, many, many hours being given over to it by the local authorities. Malachi chapter 2 continues, and it says that divorce wears on God, and because it wears on God, it is, deb- it is debated to the fact of what constitutes Uh, somebody being allowed to get a divorce so jesus says in the text it was also said what was also said that cross-references over to the old testament in deuteronomy chapter 24 this is why we need the old testament in our life you cannot just read the new testament and think to yourself "Oh, okay that's god's word god's word is absent without the authority that is carried over from the old testament Don't go ahead and go there because I'll give it to you. The ESV is confusing. The New Living Translation, which is Becky's favorite, so here we go, says this. Suppose a man marries a woman, but she doesn't please him. That's the key word. Having discovered something wrong with her, he writes a document of divorce or a certificate of divorce. He hands it over to her and sends her out of the house. When she leaves the house, she's free to marry another man. But let's say the second husband also turns against her, and he finds something that doesn't please him. He also can write a document of divorce. He could hand it over to her. He could send her out of the house. If he dies, though, the first husband may not marry the second or his wife again. He can't bring her back into the house. She defiled herself, her home, as well as him, and that is detestable to the Lord. That's where society stands there. Now, the key words in that text is something indecent, which leads to a certificate of divorce. There's two rabbinical schools that take place here in the New Testament text. Ready for this? I know there's going to be two words that you've never heard before, but try to hang with me. Number one, conservative. And number two, liberals. (laughs) Okay, the conservative rabbis said that something indecent was always in relationship to sexual impurity. So if somebody who was married found some sexual impurity, that was grounds for divorce, number one, okay? And they stopped there. There was no other conversation. Then you had liberals. And liberals said, you can divorce your wife for anything you wanted to, okay? You're walking down the street, and you see a pretty woman walking down there, and you're like, man, she's a whole lot better looking than you are. I think you have to go. They'd be like, That's fine. Or maybe you're sitting down for dinner and you look at it at the meal that's in front of you and you said to your uh, spouse, this looks horrible, I think we should get a divorce. The liberal rabbis would have been like, yeah, that makes sense, you should go ahead and do that. As a matter of fact, one of the rabbi's schools, and this is word for word says, you could divorce your wife even if she spoiled a dish. So totally uh, up for debate. And they would talk about this over and over again, conservative, liberal, conservative, liberal. Now here's the problem. Because Jesus is going to shoot for the heart. Remember, we've talked about this over and over again. He shoots for the heart. And because he shoots for the heart, the problem with the people is you're looking how to get out of the commitment that you have made instead of looking for how to stay within the fight. Still happens in today's society. We are constantly looking how to get out of what God commands us instead of staying focused on how to resolve what's transpiring and taking place. And so he would hand her a certificate of divorce. So the husband couldn't simply just express his desire to be divorced, we're done, and move on with his life. He had to essentially stack the deck against her. So he would go and provide a written legal certificate containing the reasons for her indecency. He would give it to the rabbinical schools, they would look it over, and they would say either yes or or no, and if they did, then they would send her out, and all Deuteronomy carries on accordingly. This is exactly what the society understood as they were gathered at the feet of Jesus. So when Jesus says that this is exactly how it works, or whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce, that's how it stood in that society. There's women and men and everybody who are gathered here at Jesus' feet feet now we have to pause for a second because we need to clarify what marriage is because our society has twisted this all right so we're going to pause for clarification here on what marriage actually is jesus knew everybody had this definition of marriage in new testament society if you're in the crowd you knew first of all god created marriage Number one, Christian institution blows my mind that homosexuals want to run to a Christian institution when believers run away from it. Like absolutely dumbfounded why people would say who don't know Jesus Christ as their savior, yeah, we want to get married. Uh, You don't even worship the living God. We had it first, like the rainbow. It's ours, okay? You can't have it. And God being the creator of the institution of marriage of marriage said in Genesis chapter one one this is from the beginning. And he made one man for one woman. Parts line up, okay? We don't have to go any further than that. All right, <laughs> you, you don't need anything else there. But in Genesis chapter two twenty five, Eve is called Adam's wife, and there's no debate here. You want to know why? Because the Hebrew word wife is gender specific, and the Hebrew word for man and wife are singular, no multiples. Now, you look at that and you say, well, Pastor Jordan, hold on. Uh, in the Old Testament, there is definitely polygamy going on. Solomon had 3,000-some-odd like, wives, and he is the smartest man in the world. He builds a hotel for them across the street, right? <laughs> How in the world is, is like polygamy accepted in Old Testament, not New Testament? Well, Jesus spoke to this. He said, no man can serve two masters. It, it's, it's a joke, Alright, everybody's like, all the women are like, I don't like that, that's, that's mean, alright. That's absolutely um, not, not even funny, which it wasn't, okay. Um, essentially what he says here, I apologize for that, um, it, there's no multiples in regards to the fact in the Old Testament because you cannot make a case that it works out well. If anything, the, new, the Old Testament shows us how bad really polygamy is because you won't find a solid case where it worked out in success, so you have one man, one woman, coming underneath a God-created institution, right? And in that union, they were to be, Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, one flesh, which in the original language means, till death do you part. You do not take out your own flesh. You do not amputate that. You are one together there is no escape clause written into the first genesis marriage adam and eve knew it was adam and eve forever and what's sad is in our society which is once sacred slowly becomes secular i mean we do weddings all the time and what we realize is there's so many people who are walking away from god's word and god's ways and defining marriage for what they want to define it as Like, pet peeve number one is when somebody comes up to me who has no business doing a wedding and says, I went online and I got ordained and now I can do the wedding. Okay, you do your own surgeries too then? Is that how that works? Like, hey, I'm sick, so I I write my own prescription. Why would you go to somebody who is not a professional to get healed when you go away in a a God ordained created institution from something that is that this is just so absurd to me. And, and here's the other thing: I don't even want to do your wedding, right? I'm not saying me. I'm just saying go to somebody who can explain what marriage is in a God-honoring way. So you have elements that are in the service, personal preference, annulments are requested for real? And we get to this point to where essentially divorces are given just as fast as marriage licenses are. And people in New Testament society would just be dumbfounded with where the status of marriage has gotten to in our society. Because they all agreed, this is from God, one woman, one man, and it is a big deal in the eyes of the living God. Marriage is huge in the eyes of the Lord. And to go against God's design for marriage is to mar his very image everyone agreed on that back then but do we know that today but we're talking about divorce we're not talking about marriage so what are the grounds for divorce because jesus continues here look at verse 32 but I say to you, now remember, he's fulfilling the law. He's clarifying because Jesus was 100% obedient to the law and the prophets. He is able to clarify. He is able to fulfill. The key word there is in the previous verses in chapter 5. But I say to you, okay, that everyone clarifying Old Testament commands, Deuteronomy 24, that everyone who divorces his wife except, escape clause, on the grounds of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery. Now, pause there. I read a little bit too far. Go to that first comma. Except for the grounds of sexual immorality. So, because of sin, okay, and because sin is a real thing, and it mars the relationship, Jesus essentially looks at it, and he says, hey, there's going to be an exception made for divorce. On the grounds of, first of all, there's only two in the Bible, unfaithfulness, sexual immorality. So, the conservative rabbinical school was correct, he sides with the conservative rabbis. He says, yeah, absolutely, unfaithfulness. And in that word, he uses the Greek word pornea. He says sexual unfaithfulness is where we get our word pornography or sexual immorality is a form of fornification or prostitution or adultery or however you want to slice it where one person has uh, defiled the covenant relationship by being sexually impure. Now, crazy thing about Jesus. Ready for this? And in case you missed it, he leveled the playing field. Like he brought women up and he brought men low. See, there's so many people who look at the Bible and they say, man, like Paul, he's a chauvinist. And Jesus, man, he's all about men. That's, that's not true. Like you're reading the wrong Bible. Jesus here levels the playing field. He says, no, it, whoever is sexually immoral, okay, defiles that marital covenant and it's prevalent in Greece. In this society, what we're seeing here, the whole system based their relationship on uh, relationships that happened outside of the home and they were okay with it. And in our society, we're okay with it. You wanna know how I know? Because when somebody looks at it and says, uh, that's my work wife or my work husband. Uh, whoa, whoa, hold, hold on a second. That's, that doesn't work that way, okay? Just because you work in the same spot and you're with this individual for an extended period of time does not replace your spouse who is at home. That's your spouse. Not your work wife, not your work husband. It doesn't work that way. And then and in that society, they would, they would just accept it. They would just say, Well, that's how it is. Roman culture adopted the attitude towards marriage to just do whatever makes you happy. Sound familiar? You just do whatever makes you happy. Like if your wife, okay, isn't making you happy, then you just go on the computer and figure it out yourself. False. Men, you're struggling with pornography. You've got to cut that out of your life. It'll tank you. And here's what's crazy in our society. Women, you're wrapped up in this too. Radical amputations means you've got to get rid of anything that focuses your eyes away from the commitment you made till death do us part. Jesus says, you cut that out of your life. You struggle with this, you eliminate it. Now, now, the crazy thing is here, Jesus doesn't command divorce. He's essentially saying that God allows it even though it wasn't part of his original designer intent. So some of you are probably thinking about it like, hey, my spouse has been sexually immoral. Like, we're getting a divorce tomorrow. False. Like, if Jesus forgives you for your sin, you forgive others for their sin, and you work to restore the relationship. And you just don't run away from it. Oh, well, they're uh, doing their thing, so I'm going to go do my th-. False. The second grounds for divorce come in 1 Corinthians. Paul speaks about this in chapter 7, verse 15. He says, if the husband or wife who became a believer, okay, has a spouse who isn't a believer, insists on leaving, you should let them go. So the second grounds for divorce in the Bible is abandonment. Like, if you have two people who didn't know Jesus, okay, and one of them comes to know the Lord, and the other person constantly berates them and looks at them and be like, I can't believe you follow Christ. This is ridiculous. This is the worst thing that you've ever done. You let them go. Like, hey, I love Jesus. He is my everything. He is the foundation on how I help love you. If that person just constantly be being uh, berated about that, uh, but the crazy thing in that text, it continues and it says, but wives, if you came to know the Lord, right? Ready for this? You have the ability to love your husband so much that you could uh, win him to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if you're here today and your spouse doesn't know the Lord as their savior, like don't give up on that. Like you love them like Jesus until they have no other idea on how your marriage continues to work into, in, in, unless it's just they're pointing back to Jesus okay Paul says it is the case of a believer married to an unbeliever that if an unbeliever chooses to leave the relationship the believer is not under any obligation to insist uh, to uh, keep going with the marriage okay and, and here's the hard thing ready for this that's it like the Bible only gives two reasons Or grounds for divorce. Marital unfaithfulness and abandonment. And Jesus says both parties are held responsible. Now, Jesus doesn't command divorce here, okay? He says God allows it. So how do we reconcile and what does this look like in our everyday life? Here's the crazy thing. He continues in this passage of scripture, the second part. Except on the grounds of sexual immorality, makes her out to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. This is tough. Jesus is saying one of the hardest things I can find in the Bible. Super tough. Whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. It's parallel. If you want to cross-reference in your Bible, put this down. Matthew chapter 19, verse 9, which says anyone who marries another woman also commits adultery. So probably you're sitting here and you're thinking to yourself, uh, I'm divorced, okay? And this is the hard thing about modern technology is this message like kind of goes out after this morning, okay? So there could be people who are hearing this later on in a later date. And maybe you're thinking, I'm divorced, can I remarry? Or uh, how about if I already got remarried and uh, didn't have grounds for divorce, what do I do? Well, that's a tough question because the Bible doesn't really go into like a whole great detail. The maps in the back of my Bible don't have charts that tell me like, do this and don't do this. And it'd be nice if, it, if they were there, but they're, they're just not there. But you need to hear what I said at the beginning again. God might hate divorce, but he does not hate you. And maybe you need to write that down this morning because you're hearing me say that God hates you because you've been divorced. That's not the case. God does not hate you. It's how we move forward. Every sinner has a past. Every saint has a future. And so let's talk about how this plays out at Community Gospel with our marriages as they sit right now. First of all, To you married people who have been married for like five years or 50 years or 500 years, maybe it feels like 500 years, okay? Never got divorced, you've never been separated or whatever the case is, here's the deal. Number one, like you have to work to stay together. You need to stay married. I know that maybe you got out of the car this morning and you thought to yourself, I hate you. And my kids would be so mad at me right now, Dad, we don't use the word hate, but that's what came out of your mouth as you rolled out of the car, right? You have to stay together. That is God's design for you is to stay together. There's been times, just straight up, me to you, where I, I watch Bethany walk by, or she's watching me walk by, and we just think to ourselves, man, I don't know how this is gonna continue on. I just have no idea. Like, we are, like, going like this. How in the world is this gonna be fixed? But we don't use the word divorce in our house, ever. Like, we will sit in a living room and, like, iron it out, right? And we will talk until we cannot talk anymore about how we stay together and honor the Lord with our marriage. Your marriage is a spiritual act of worship, 100%. So God's designed for you, don't get Divorce. Don't bring it up. Don't talk about it. Don't give Satan that foothold. Genesis two twenty four says, "Hold fast to becoming one flesh." Matthew chapter nineteen verse six says, "What God joined together, let no man separate." We will never let people divide our marriage in half. Okay, and there are times, just as a pastor, right, where I will shelf church work to work on my marriage because if. I'm not doing well in my marriage. I'm not doing well in my relationship with Jesus. And I'm not doing well as a pastor of this church. So there's just times where it's, it's just, okay, we got to work on Bethany. And ready for this? Like, uh, it could be that way with your job. Like, you have sick days and stuff like that. There might be times where you just need to look at your boss and be like, listen, my marriage is going south. And I need a counselor, and we're going to have to get help, and, and I need you to be okay with this. You just just say, we're not giving up. There is only specific allowance for remarriage after divorce if sexual uh, impurity takes place or abandonment, and even then, God says, no, you need to make sure that you're seeking the other person's best. Okay, so you are sitting here this morning, or hearing this maybe later on, and you're like, yeah, but Pastor Jordan, they cheated on me. Let me just be straight up with you, that stinks. But there is still hope for the future. Okay, don't give up on that. Understand that your marriage could come back even stronger. All right, don't divide. There's forgiveness there. Okay, so what if you're divorced and you haven't gotten remarried? Okay, well, first of all, I'm gonna reiterate it again. God doesn't hate you, okay? And he does not not look at divorce and say, I won't forgive that. God totally forgives divorce because he forgives all sin, The only sin that God doesn't forgive, ready for this, is the rejection of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the only sin. That's the unpartable sin is what the Bible says. If you reject the gospel of Jesus Christ, that's something that God says, I cannot forgive that. Everything else, we're all good. We can work on it, okay? So before going any further, we reiterate that if you're divorced, God is merciful and he's forgiving and he loves you. Like, don't lose hope of that. And even though... That divorce is a result of sin, because it is. It's, it's a result of sin. We know, whether it's on your part or your spouse's part, that God is gonna work through that. He forgives that, and God is going to have something ahead. Now, here's the crazy thing. Some of you who are in this boat are like quick to remarry. And I would just pause that for a second, because maybe God doesn't want you to get remarried. Like maybe God has called you to be single, Like, you were married, it didn't work for whatever reason, and and you're sitting here and you're like, man, uh, I don't know if I'm ever going to get married again. God might be looking at that and shaking his head and being like, yeah, absolutely. Paul, if he were here today in person, would be like, best thing I ever did, never get married. And you want to know why? Because he says, essentially, I can spend all of my time and effort pleasing the Lord. I don't have to worry about another person in my life. I don't have to worry about pleasing another person. I just, all all day long, just pleasing Jesus, right? And maybe some of you are are, um, widows, right? God might want you to stay single. You might look at this and you might say to yourself, man, um, I'm good, right? Like, love them unconditionally. We had a great marriage, but now I'm sitting here, uh, God wants me to stay single. He might never want me to marry again. And that's okay. The unmarried man or woman is anxious about how to please the Lord, okay? But God understands our hearts so well. In 1 Corinthians 7, 9, this is me in college, it says, it is better to marry than to burn with passion. And some of you want to get remarried, and that's good and godly, okay? But here's, here's the kicker. The Bible makes it clear that marrying a man or woman who is divorced in a non-biblical ground situation you are the person that causes that individual to commit adultery. You can enter into a marriage situation it could be recognized by the state but not recognized in the eyes of the Lord. Like that's tough. That's exactly what Jesus is saying here when he says you make her commit adultery. If you enter into a marriage relationship with somebody who is, um, <clears throat> who is uh, divorced on non-biblical grounds, you are the person who is responsible for making that person commit adultery. So choose wisely. Okay. All right. So the third kind of category is tough. And that's like people who are divorced and then they remarried. And you're sitting here maybe this morning and you're thinking to yourself, okay, so that's me, right? I I got divorced, non-biblical grounds, got remarried, right? And I just caused this other person to commit adultery. Thanks a lot, Pastor Jordan. I love this church. Take the offering again. <laughs> right? Maybe you're sitting there, okay? Maybe that's, that's where you're at. And this is, this is my greatest nightmare. This is why I didn't sleep at all last night because uh, you people are so near and dear to my heart. Like, I love the dysfunctional man or woman because like, that's me. I get it, okay? I totally understand. Reiterate the point God doesn't hate you. He does not hate you. He does not look at you and He does not say to to you, like, man, you did all things wrong, and so therefore uh, you get eternal fire and damnation. No, He doesn't do that. It's not how God works. But here's the other thing you might be looking at it and be like, Monday, getting a divorce, knew it, knew I shouldn't have married you, right? Okay, two wrongs don't make a right. All right, so if you're sitting there and you're thinking to yourself, "I, I screwed up. And I got a divorce, I shouldn't have got a divorce, married this person, they're committing adultery, this whole situation has gone south. No, 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 no. God says, you, you stay together, okay? Let's not run away again, and let's not continue to tally up the list of wrongs. That would be the same thing as you're like, well, I lied about it once, and I, I just keep going, right? No, you got to come clean before the Lord, okay? God absolutely forgives I know this, beyond a shadow of a doubt, but knowing these things now, divorce is no less forgivable than any other sin, but that does not mean you continue to remain in your disobedience. So uh, this is where it gets really hard to preach, ready? So like, you're divorced, and it was your fault, you go find your ex, and you apologize and ask for forgiveness. Like, that's tough. You say, hey, listen, I didn't really know Jesus real well when we got divorced. And I need you to understand that God has done a great work in my life, and I apologize. It was my fault. Or maybe um, you didn't commit that sin, right? And and maybe for you then, it's not harboring any hatred against your spouse or ex Ex spouse. My mother never said anything negative about my dad growing up. I cannot recall a time where she looked at me and said, Your father, Bruce, is worthless. Never. Not once. As a matter of fact, I recall so many times my mom uh, would sit with my dad. She loves him unconditionally. My stepdad, she uh, was a divorced woman on biblical grounds, okay? marries a widow who got not divorced, he's a widow, they marry, conservative church, ready for this? Looks at it and says, hey, we don't think this is a good thing. How is is not a good thing? This is a God thing. Okay, pursuing a spouse, wife, pursuing reconciliation, right? Doesn't happen. The other spouse says, I want nothing to do with this. And here comes an individual. They're a widow. They come together underneath of the covenant relationship of God. And every time I sat down with my mom, ready for this? She looks at you, she says, Jordan, if anything, if anything happened from me being with your dad, it's you sitting right here. I loved the time that I had with your father. Like, I remember the funeral for my, my old man. And my mom, she called tears in her eyes. Like, this, this stinks, right? Because she knew, never said anything against him. So many of us who are in, uh, divorced and we're remarried, we look at the ex and we're like, your dad or your mom is worthless. Stop, stop, just quit, It does nothing for a child. It does nothing for them. And so you are to pursue reconciliation even if you're not gonna pursue remarriage with that individual. You should still on some level be somewhat civil with them. I mean, we deal with this police department world. People will drop off their kids screaming and arguing like he did this, she did this. Stop! Stop! Every time we do something in disobedience to the Lord, we're marring the image of God for somebody else and for ourselves. This is not how Jesus treats you. This is not how Jesus loves you. This is not how Jesus takes care of you. So maybe it just needs to start with you in the privateness of your home where you just go and you just ask God, help me to forgive my ex-wife or husband. Help me not to harbor any bitterness against that individual. And may you be glorified with how we continue to proceed. Maybe you need to just pray for some wisdom. Maybe you just need to be patient. And you should seek that restoration and you should come together with your spouse now. And it goes all the way back to married people. And you should love them the way that Christ loves you. Husbands, you are called and commanded to love your wives like Christ loves the church. You are called and commanded to love your wife like Jesus loves the church. You know what Jesus did for the church? He died on the cross for her. He continually seeks her best. My dad would drill this into our brains when we were kids. I would watch my parents lick faces in the living room. Gross. <laughs> my sister and I, we would watch him and we'd be like, oh, my word, go somewhere with that, right? And my dad, when my mom would leave, ready for this, here's what he did. He would go underneath the sink, he would grab the dusting stuff. He would wipe down everything in the house. He would clean the house. I'll never forget this. And I'd look at him and i go, dad, are you crazy? Mom's gonna kiss you regardless of the fact whether you dust or not. And he's like, yeah, but I need to seek your mom's best because that's what Jesus did for me. Husbands, you are to seek your wife's best, to sacrificially love her. The definition of love is seeking the other person's best even if you get something in return or not. And wives, you are called to be submissive to your husbands the way that Christ was submissive to the Father. If you want to know how to have an outstanding marriage, you read the book of Ephesians. It will outline and articulate how you are to love one another according to how Christ loves us. My dad would say all the time. My dad would get up off the couch. Ready for this? And he meets my mom still to this day every time she gets home. It doesn't matter what he's doing. He gets up off the couch. He puts everything away. He greets her at the door. He opens it and he says, it's so good to see you. I love you so much. Why? Why would you do that? He says, because, Jordan, that's what I expect God to do when I get to heaven if I'm faithful to him. Everything is done with the lens of this is how Christ treats me. If you married people, whether you've been divorced or whether you're remarried or whether you've never been divorced, wherever you're at, would love each other the way Christ loved the church, your marriage will last forever, but also people will look at you walking down the road and they'll say, I want that I want that how do I get that and you'll look at them and you'll say listen it is only by the grace of God that we're still married it is only by the grace of God that Bethany and I are still married who would live with me (laughs) but God we know always blesses when we are fully obedient to him when we do uh, weddings we close weddings with this and this would be my prayer for you I thought about this all week long on how to end this sermon and this is my prayer for you This is the one thing that will make your marriage last forever. You ready for this? May the word of God be the authority and the foundation for your home. May the son of God be the preeminent person in your home. May the spirit of God be the guide in your home. And may the will of God be your primary concern and purpose. So that you have the opportunity like Joshua said that as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Let me pray for you. God, there are so many people who are gathered here today or who are gonna be listening to this message who are thinking about throwing in the towel. And there's so many people who are here today who are in um, a marriage and they're they're driving solo and there's so many people who cuz I've I've done it we've gotten to the point where we just we just think there's no way that this can be reconciled or there was a fight or something happened or something transpired but the goal and purpose of marriage is not for competition it's for completion And our marriages are direct representations of our relationship with you. And so before we go any further, God, my whole goal and desire is your desire that people would see that. That the relationship that they have with their spouse is a direct relationship with their relationship with you. And if they're struggling in that relationship, they're struggling in their relationship with you. Everything else might be going great. But the home is the greatest mission field. And what takes place in the home is so important because it is an indicator for everything else. And so I pray that whether people have been divorced or remarried or never been divorced, that for our married people, you would keep them together. And they would fight for their marriages. And they would fight for your applause and your approval. And the people who are single, who are gathered here today, that they would really consider marriage, whether or not that's something you want them to participate in or not. And if it's not, that they would feel blessed to be called to be single. And God, I pray very specifically that um, that you would do a great work in the hearts of those who are gathered here today. And that you would um, affirm in ways that I can't and speak in ways that I can't. Comfort in ways that I can't. Help people to know that you love them and that you care for them and that you're seeking their best and may they in turn seek each other's best too as well. God, a very difficult message, but thanks for being clear according to your word, giving us the option to choose of whether or not we will serve you or serve ourselves. May you be blessed and glorified with all that we think, say, and do in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.